Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Craig Ellingson, sports editor at the Edmonton Journal. And this is our Oilers podcast for December 2nd, 2014. With me are journal hockey writer Jim Matheson. Hi, Maddie. How are you doing? Uh, join join Ireland. General oh. hockey writer. Morning. Good morning, and John McKinnon, uh, general sports columnist. Good morning. We're on the uh, the day after the five two loss to the Arizona Coyotes, and uh, that's the Oilers' tenth uh, loss in a row. That's ten winless games in a row. And uh, Andrew Ference had a few things to say after the game that uh, we hadn't necessarily heard before this season. He Ooh. did. He did what a captain should do. That's why he's the captain. That's why he's wearing the C. I'd like to see it in the practice if he drills a guy into the end boards, you know, or there's a fight with somebody, then maybe that's somebody he's talking about, <laughs> you know. You know, you, you hate to equate what, you know, as somebody was, I was listening this morning to a radio show and somebody equated what Ference did to what Mark Messier would have done. The difference is Mark Messier would have followed through in the game or in the practice and high stick somebody or, or you know, followed through and, and, and showed his anger on the ice as well at, at some of the the players that Andrew was talking about, and I don't think it's right that a player publicly should throw in, you know, specifically. Okay, here's who I think is is a dog who you know who was playing very poorly. You know, that's that's behind closed doors, and you know, you, you leave it to us to fill in the blanks as to who he's talking about. But certainly, as a as a blanket statement from a captain, it's it's what a captain should do. And it was pretty damning, too, in that, you know, he talked about, I mean, it wasn't so much just the, the constant mistakes, which obviously is something that's been an issue, but it's the, the, what I found most telling was the talk about the moping around and the players sort of not being enthusiastic enough and not coming to the rink with sort of the right attitude, which, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here on in, because although he didn't call anybody out by name, he sort of has called out some of his teammates so we'll see sort of if this sort of fractures the room at all or if there is a fracture there already that this is just going to sort of you know expand that um that division and it ha- and again the losing doesn't just sort of piles on right so it's you know Andrew could not sort of state whether or not it was this was you know a side effect of the losing or if it's just something that's been going on and I mean how would we know this team's lost so many games over the last two seasons that <laughs> it's hard to separate the two I mean to me what he was really uh, addressing I which he didn't use this word but I would is, is a lack of professionals among some of the players who are wilting in the face of adversity who are not um, learning from repeated mistakes who keep uh, turning the puck over and um, and then kind of uh, 
responding, not with uh, renewed efforts, but with sagging and and um, for him to come out and say that, I think I suspect he's already said that many times in the locker room. I mean, we're we're getting uh, speech number seventy-five or something, not uh, number two. So it, it's I would say it's an acute problem. I mean, obviously. And it's not just this season, though. I think this is something that's, you know, there were signs of this last year, I'm presuming, from the way he was speaking, and he's not speaking of players that were brought in this offseason, which, you know, you can narrow down the list. That leaves some of the uh, so-called core star players that were the object of his Well, it, it was interesting in that he, he specifically mentioned players that come here from other organizations yeah. understand very quickly what works and what does not work. And what he's talking about is, the, I think, is young star players, and um, who are not learning that they've got to get some NHL um, reality drilled into them, and then they've got to play uh, in a way that is successful in the NHL. And clearly, that obviously, it's not happening. They only won six games. So we can obviously, you know, we know who those core star players all are. The top line: Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Everly. I mean. Obviously, we don't know exactly who we're talking about, but um, what? How do you address that as a team? What is? I mean, clearly, Ference was uh, putting the onus on the players. You know, in your column today, and in your story today, Joanne, um, he's, you know, Ference said the X's and O's side, the coaching side, is not the problem. It's on the team, the players themselves. Well, it is. I mean, this is <laughs> Dallas Aikens is not the first coach they've had here, and they've had nine. We're going on nine losing seasons here, and he's only being responsible for two of them. So, it's you know, it is incumbent on the players. But the question, you're, it, it's the the great question: Where do they go from here? I mean, how do you fix that? Um, you can make a coaching change. You can make some, you know, a roster move or two. But is it going to fix the, you know, the the problem? I mean. Are we talking? We're not just talking one or two players here. Well, they've got the team. I mean, w- all he's done is nibble around the edges, Craig McTavish, by calling guys up from the minors, sending guys down, um, sitting guys in the press box. But they're not the, apart from Justin Schultz and Keaton, one game. They're not the players that play a lot of minutes. So um, he has to make some deal, whether he's from a position of weakness or not. The others are always from in a position of weakness when they're making a trade. They're always in the bottom of the league so to use that as an excuse I can't trade because we're from a position of weakness there's other teams in the league playing every bit as badly as the Edmonton Oilers who would probably like to make a trade just as, w- as much as the Oilers would so you know and I you know if he is singing and I don't know this drew up if he is singling out Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly and Ryan Nugent Hopkins for criticism that's a, a bit of a, a double-edged sword here they're their best players yeah. I don't see anybody else beyond them and when it comes to scoring a goal doing anything so it's nice to say they should be more professional if that's who he's talking about but I don't see the secondary scoring picking up the slack and saying uh well we can we can help out here now instead of the same three guys playing on the first line getting all the points and while they get more minutes than everybody else it's because they produce more than everybody else so um you know You'd like to call out the guys you should call out because they're the star players and not the fringe players that, you know, they're not going to make much of a difference. But um, I think it, they have to be a little wary here of, of you know, jumping on the, the star players to the degree that they're the, also the ones that, that are playing the best offensively and 
you know, on a team that scores 2.2 goals a game, they're the ones that are getting the two goals, and the other people are getting the point two, pretty much. So, but what does that do? I mean, if you have, let's say it is the star players, let's say it's, let's say it's. I think you could probably include Justin Schultz in that group. Yeah. Um, you know, he's supposed to be the star player on defense. Um, I, you know, like I said, he, but he doesn't mention names. So, you know, and, you know, I could say it's incumbent on the captain to mention the names behind closed doors and, and grab somebody by the throat and maybe he has gotten somebody's face. He's a pretty feisty, energetic kind of guy. He probably has, but... Uh, Ferentz was interesting, though, because he, he was asked, have you seen this? Have you seen people moping in the locker room? Have you seen? And it's sense, well, yeah, haven't you seen it? It's obvious. That, I mean, he, he's not talking about the third and the fourth line here. Yeah. He's talking, he said, he said it's, it's obvious who, who I'm talking about. He just didn't say who they were. Which I found quite telling, mm. and, but it, it's also understandable. I mean, human nature. If you're losing all the time, as some of these players have who've been here for a while, I might be moping too. I might be thinking, "Are we ever getting out of this? Are we ever getting m- more help? Are we ever getting a deeper team so that you know we can get out of this?" So, uh, you know, the moping part of it comes with losing, as Joanne pointed out. I think the more losses you get, everybody would would be kind of down at the mouth after a while. And, it would be nice once if there's a fight in practice or something like that, or somebody shot the puck at somebody's head, or they showed you know some anger <laughs> in practice. I'm not sure I see the therapeutic oh, value. I do, I do. Of all this violence, I, I just I do. <laughs> it shows that you care. It shows that you're not going to put up with it. Yes, I, I don't don't subscribe to the notion that random violence towards your teammates translates into good play. I do. Sorry, I'm old school. I do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm not sure anybody ever, th- you know, <laughs> like, well, we'll see uh, what, what they do. I mean, I don't know what they do. That's, that's, uh, Joanne's right. What, what, what is the remedy? Do we have a cancer in the dressing room? I mean, I, that's a, I don't think. Do I even a, call it that? I don't think that's appropriate personally. No. You just, ha- you just have it, a losing team. It is splitting yeah. though. And they, every team that loses, they can talk a great game. We're all in this together, yeah. but there's always fractures and some, some people don't quite think that, you know, take losing as well as the others some people take it too easily you know some people say it's not my fault it's your fault uh, I'm not getting enough ice time so how can you blame me yeah. you know the other guys are playing all the time and you're not nobody's criticizing them you know so you know it becomes pretty nature, difficult right? when you lost 10 games in a row and as many losses as the owners have had yeah. and I think one of the problems is the owners play their worst hockey at home they play better on the road and you know, there's been an awful lot of losses at home this year that have been very poor losses this year and last year. And, you know, and having to put up with the with 20 media people asking you questions as opposed to losing a game on the road when there's only a few people that are watching it on TV. You know, it's an interesting thing. Earlier, uh, about a month ago, um, a reporter from the press had a story with Tom Rennie. And, and Rennie was talking about his approach to coaching and, and now that he's basically head of Hockey Canada. But he talked about his Oilers time. And essentially what we talked about was that he wanted to ration certain players' minutes because he was concerned about their welfare. Um, a number of them, if not many of them, subsequently had to undergo surgery for various traumatic injuries. And But he was, the, the, the organizational culture was, no, you got to play these guys. We're trying to sell hope. These are our stars. This is the future. A recurring theme this year uh, with Dallas Akins 
has been why is this guy playing so much when he's not playing very well? Why it, it took a lot to get him to to sit down Justin Schultz for one game, and uh, the same kind of questions come regarding Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall gives gives the puck away. Never his minutes are never reduced, and I wonder whether organizationally, uh, and and part of it is what Jim was talking about. How do you win if you if you if you don't use your best players a lot? You live and die with their mistakes. But the the other part is, I mean, Taylor Hall last night had an egregious giveaway. A couple shifts later, he hits the post. You know, almost scored a goal. So, so there is that delicate balance. But I also wonder whether, to some degree, um, and I don't know this, but uh, that um, it's certainly clear. Rennie made clear it was part of the reality he lived with. Is that there's organizational instructions? We're going with these guys. These are the guys. And, but that can erode the uh, um, uh, how a team functions because on, on a, a good team, I believe, on a successful team, it's pretty clear cut. You start to screw up, you will sit. Not this team. And it depends on who you are. And, and so it, I wonder whether th- this is not part of what, what Ference was expressing. So was the scorched earth move or the, you know, going, you know, clearing the decks – Installing Taylor Hall as your, you know, your number one player, and the everybody else who came after, and going with those guys as your your star players off the hop from the time they were eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Is this is this what we're seeing? And instead of having them come up through the system, I know they're number one overall picks, and those guys should be playing big minutes already. But were they ready to do that? So, oh, well, I think it's in different cases. Taylor Hall, to me, is not... His, his game has dropped. Not, I don't mean to pick on anybody. He, I don't he's, know. I think he's improved. Year, but this year, everybody's having a tough year. Right. Um, I think Nugent Hopkins physically uh, had to be very careful, and even there he got injured because he physically wasn't really mature. Yeah. If, um, the, if the owners were the Detroit Red Wings, you know, clearly I like to think that we wouldn't be seeing some of these guys right away in a big line role. Problem is but they didn't have any Datsuks yeah. and Zetterbergs. Right. True, there's no supporting or cast. Yeah. to say uh, yep. Nyquist and, right. and and Tatar. You used to you used to spend your time in Grand Rapids. They didn't have any of that. They're yeah. they're they had Ryan Smith, who's you know in his mid thirties, or whoever else was there towards the end of their career. They didn't have the guys in the prime of their career to say here's how it's done, and you guys just wait your turn and, and watch from us. And, and that's the rolling of the dice, isn't it? Well, when you're, you're finished as badly as the orders do over the years, you're just getting the, the good picks, and you want to shove them into your lineup and think, okay, I got the best player in the draft, so he should be immediately be Ovechkin or Malkin or somebody like that, and he's a great player, and or Crosby, and away we go. But that hasn't been the way that it is. And this is also an organization that up until 2010 didn't really have any sort of um, focus on the development program. I mean, they really didn't have much of a farm team and you know whereas you talk about Detroit and sort of they've they've you know they've had the system in place to develop players the Oilers haven't so they've got the system in place now the question may be are they bringing in the right players to develop that you know that's up for debate but um you know so you know we're four years into that process and yeah and Detroit had to start it sometime too I'd you know look back 25 years with the Red Wings or more like 30 years now you know when they went through their burn it down you, know, you would know better than me because you were. There were the dead things. 
Yeah, for a long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. But but the, the, their program has been quite. I, I think it's, you can't really compare it. I mean, their stars right now were picked like what one fifty, two twenty. I mean, yeah. they they're late round picks, very astutely chosen apparently, who they develop very carefully and so on and so forth. Um, and the Oilers have done that. Like Eberle, for example, was I think brought along very carefully and smartly, step by step by step. Um, going to the AHL, I think two seasons in a row at the end of his junior year, yeah. and he went. He played World Junior twice, if I'm not mistaken. World Senior Men's Championship before he'd actually become an Oiler, and he was brought along in that fashion. Um, I'm not sure that uh, th I, there are other. Th I think it's a, more of an organizational sense of entitlement for these players. Mm -hmm. To me, the, the egregious example, and it's not his fault, is Justin Schultz. When your general manager is declaring you a Norris Trophy candidate. Well, a, 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 in, the, in the context of negotiations, yeah. keep in mind, why would you do that? That to me is the most reckless thing among many reckless things that, uh, that Craig has done. And, and it's, so now this guy, uh, who was a much sought-after free agent, uh, left, keep in mind, the, the, the um, Anaheim team to come here, could have signed there, chose not to, go to the highest bidder or whatever. And so he, he came in here and started here believing I'm a special guy. Uh, I've, he's going backwards, his development. Is that because he wasn't, he did spend time in the minors during the lockout. Is that because the organization didn't bring him along? No, I think they, they filled his head full of, you're, you're outstanding, you're a star, buddy. Well, why don't they let him prove it first? Which I don't think he's done. Oh, we're just spinning our... <laughs> I was going to say. Spinning a, we, we, you know, like a top here. There's just nothing. We've uh, visited there's, these there's, topics in I some think, fashion I think all the, this season. The problem the Oilers also don't have is they don't have the one one elite, elite player who also is can drag everybody else along. I mean, so that's not no Taylor Crosby. Hall. They're very good players, but they're not Sidney Crosby. They're not Steve Stamkos. Um, you know, they don't have the... They're good. They're really good players, but they're not the best five players in the world or, or such. Yeah. And, you know, it's been so long since the Oilers had... I mean, we were so fortunate to get Chris Pronger only for one year. <laughs> and, he was, and, he, and at the time they got him, you know, he was in his prime, but, you know, he, he was, I would say, two-thirds of the way yeah. through his, his career, and he was still a great player. And... Um, but even with Pronger, they made the playoffs on the last day of the season yeah. because Vancouver lost, if I'm not mistaken, Anaheim. to San Jose or Anaheim, whatever Anaheim. it was. And they, they traded a first-round pick for Dwayne Rollison, which solidified the goaltending. Now, then they got into the playoffs, and they got into a roll. But until then, that team was... Yeah, but uh, even that team, John, making the playoffs, they were close. They were... We're not talking a team that's they 10 weren't games out under in 500. November. <laughs> were, that was a team that was no, no. That you still had to get ninety some points oh, in yes. the playoffs. Yep. So yeah. that was still a good team. Oh, yeah. I'm not but saying it wasn't. It was absolutely. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. So, but they weren't the Penguins, the '06 Oilers. The teams that, that do well, the teams. If you look at the teams, they're doing all right now. Jim is right. They have somebody. I mean, Montreal does it primarily with Carey Price, their goalie. Without Carey Price. <laughs> That's not that's not for a first place team, absolutely, and, and of course Pittsburgh has their Pittsburgh got lucky. They got not just Crosby, they got Malkin, they got Flurry, all of these you know high first round pit. Well, two number ones if I'm not mistaken, or a number one and a number two and a, and a number three. Um, so yeah, uh, and this team I think has very good players, but they, I mean, 
the common denominator, I think, of the teams here that have struggled is unreliable goaltending. Uh, but you don't fix that overnight either, mm-hmm. as we've seen. And it's too early to start talking about uh, Connor McDavid and Jake Eichel. It is not. No? <laughs> it's, it's only like December the 2nd, yesterday. though. It's not like even I Christmas. yesterday, tank the season. Tank it. I this think they're well on their way, Maddie. They, they don't have to be told by me, for sure. But, you know, this is the one year where these are generational players from all the scouts saying. So if you can get one of those two players, great. But it's, it means an awful four more months of, of stumbling to, uh, to get, you know, one of those two players. And so. then what happens then? They bring one of them in, and then, and then what? Well, they are apparently ready to play right now, mm-hmm. so... We'll see. I don't know. It's well, one thing that would happen, I believe, if you got an Eichel or a McDavid, is that anybody's fears that uh, free agent players wouldn't want to come here, I think, would be allayed because players want to play with the best players. That's one thing. And another thing, obviously, is that you would, if you got a high-end centerman, you'd now have three of them, plus Boyd Gordon. Yeah, you'd have, if you have, let's say, McDavid, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Drysdale. There's another issue. Is Drysdale in danger <laughs> of having, you know, like a regression because he's playing, you know, losing every night? I haven't seen that myself, but it's a question I ask myself. No, it's happening to Justin Schultz. I think he's getting, I think Drysdale's getting sucked into the all losing too, and he's trying. But There's <laughs> lots of games now you watch him play and you say, whew, he's having trouble out there, and yet he's still playing, and, uh, because there's nobody else, and who else would you play? The irony is, wasn't it the reason that Sean Horkoff and Alish Hemsky were traded is just to change the the losing culture and to you know they 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 were veterans who had sort of the the losing was taking their toll. Now, like I said, now you have Taylor Hall who's four or five seasons into this, and this is a kid who came from winning straight back to back Memorial Cups who's known nothing but losing. So. I don't know how you correct that. Like, how do you well, teach Sam him Gagne how to Sam Gagne, too, right? Sam Gagne is another one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Taylor Hall was a mighty uh, depressed-looking man last night. Even even by the standards of this team, last night he was talking very quietly. Normally, He also didn't have his very best game last night. No, so he did not. I would hope that there's some of that on him in that no. situation. But, I, but, but last night he seemed to be particularly... Yeah. <laughs> I think the disappointment yeah. came from from the team they were playing... It's one thing to get blown out by the Chicago Blackhawks, who <laughs> blow a lot of teams out. They just beat handily beat the LA Kings the other night, so they got a really good team. But when you're losing to a team that's won one of their last six at home, and you lose by f- three goals and was five one at one time, you're probably thinking, "This is one of these teams we should have been able to beat and get going a little bit." And then you, you know. Lay another egg. And well, particularly after they take St. Louis to overtime, I don't know that anyone would have projected that when they went into St. Louis and they come off two, you know, fairly decent games, and then they come back to Rexall, and mm-hmm. this is the end result. It's they it's just make way too many egregious errors in a game, and the other team scores goals, yeah. and no matter how they try, you know, mistakes they make are not. You know, little wee ticky tacky mistakes. The mistakes they make are usually pretty big ones, and the other team makes them pay, regardless of whether you're the Arizona Coyotes or the, or the you know, St. Louis Blues or the Dallas Stars or whomever. They make you pay. Now this is uh, you know, by the uh, 
Harlan Spot with Kevin Lowe. This is the second rebuild, more or less, in the years since uh, the 06 Cup run, is it not? Can we call it a failed rebuild now? I guess. They're not getting, they're not progressing. I don't, you know, I think Calgary's in a rebuild too, aren't they? And they're somewhat ahead of the Oilers in terms of uh, where they are in the standings, so. I don't know. The teams that that lose year after year after year, they're grasping at straws, hoping to get out of it. And you hate to say it, but the Oilers right now are looking a lot like the Florida Panthers, who kept getting all those good draft choices over the years too, but they haven't made any progress. They haven't made any progress. They made the playoffs once in all that time when Kevin Deneen was coaching them, and then you know the next year they just went back to being the Florida Panthers again. And same this year, they got some good young players and. You know, they're scuffling along, you know, two-thirds of the way down the list in the Eastern Conference and just lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of similar similarities there, and that's not what should happen when you keep getting the picks the orders are getting. Uh, you hopefully you get your head out, you know, from the hole you're in. And I know it was talked about all last week, uh, all the trade rumors, but that really is what has to happen next you know, for the Oilers is they need to make a trade to try to shake things up in the dressing room. I guess the question is, who? Well, you have it has to be, to be honest, it has to be a a name player where the rest of the players and the team are going to go, ooh, what happened here? Or the fans go, ooh. So it has to be a core player. Yeah. I, it has to be a core player that you perceive to be a core player to make a trade, I think. Um, unless you decide, look, we're not doing that because, you know, we want the draft choice, you know, so we're not going to do that. But I, I, you know, you know we all know who the core players are. And, and if you don't want to trade one of those ones, you're just, again, trading a support player and hope you can get somebody else who's a little better than that support player or a player who plays a different position than the, the one you're trading. So. so you're saying there was no message in sending Jesse Yonsu to Oklahoma City uh, <laughs> that resonated through that lineup? I don't think so. And, in <laughs> fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesse Yonsu winds up in Europe. This yeah. year, he may just decide I'd rather go to, to Europe yeah. and play for two hundred grand, and you know, there. And the Oilers will probably say we can save some money. Good, fine. Now we have to we have to presume that Craig McTavish spent last week on the phone trying to work out some sort of deal. I mean, we've also and he was working on the phones, uh, according to people after the game last night in the press box. Long after people had come down, he was still on his phone. So. Yeah. The he was question presumably it, yeah. talking to other other GMs, or he was talking to his higher management. Maybe he was talking to the owner. Who knows? But something's got to happen. Yeah. So that's why he wasn't talking to the media these days. Well, he hasn't <laughs> been, busy. which he is unusual been. for Craig because yeah. he's usually pretty accessible. And you know, he's one of those guys who comes out of the dressing room and you know, he'll answer questions informally to four or five people when you ask him a question. So this is pretty unusual for him. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to say the wrong thing. Or he's embarrassed by how the team's yeah. playing and he doesn't want to say what's really on his mind. Who knows? But yeah. uh, he's been, the, the silence is, as they deafening. say, is deafening yeah. right now. And, you know, they've played one quarter, more than one quarter of the season. So, All right, well, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much, everybody. We'll do this again very soon. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks.